This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, I am your host, Erica Lance. With me today is Valerie Willis, and today our guest is Heather Graham. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking so people can drink along. I have gone to my gin and tonic with fever flu, fever. Fever tree, fever flu. That's no, that's terrible. Fever tree, cucumber, water. This is terrible. I've had only three sips of this today and it's already started. Val, what are you drinking? Uh, I've defaulted to Jack and Coke in my uh, <laughs> trademark pickle jar <laughs> because I'm, you know, backwoods southern. Uh, what are you drinking today, Heather? <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't go wrong with Jack. As I say, mine, mine is my mystery drink. Oh, ooh, I like mystery drinks. And my, my very adult adventures cup. You know what? I, I'm a thousand percent on board with those. <laughs> okay. So, Heather, for the people living under a rock that don't know who you are, because you have to be with all your writing, will you tell our audience a little bit about what you write? Well, um, over the years, I have written almost everything in fiction. Uh, the main thing I'm known for right now is the crew of Hunters, which has been described as criminal minds meets supernatural, um, uh, paranormal, mystery, suspense, thriller. I also write a um, different FBI series that are more just straight procedural with FBI people. Um, I also, throughout the years, have written a lot of historical novels and a lot of different kinds of paranormal. Um, and I just, it was funny because we're talking about, you know, the way we're all living right now. Well, I kind of got a little bit crazy with the contemporary world. And I had a pseudonym years ago, Shannon Drake, and she used to do vampire novels and historicals and things like that. So Shannon Drake got a little bit crazy and decided to write an Arthurian fantasy based on, you know, historical facts happening in the Dark Ages. So I actually that just went up. It's called Daughter of Darkness and Light. And uh, the next crew coming out is called Dreaming Death. And that comes out this month. And uh, I also do something for wonderful friends. They put together an incredible company called A Thousand and One Dark Nights. And they now have the dead heat of summer. It's very hot down here. Yes. Yeah. We live yes. in Florida. Florida. We, we understand the heat. Where are y'all? I'm in Florida. Oh, we're in the, I'm in the Tampa Bay area. Val is near Orlando. Orlando. And I'm down in the epicenter. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm down in Miami. But yeah. I went to the University of South Florida. So it's oh, by you. Oh, and wow. we spent a... Yeah, tremendous amount of time at 
Walt Disney World. We'll have to when we can actually be around other humans, we'll have to do it this in fun. Person again. Oh yeah, that'd be great. That'd oh be yeah. Great. Yeah. We used to do this in person before COVID hit, which was so much funner just to sit around and hang out. And I know, whatever. oh, I know, I know. But uh, you know, but it's I have been staying with a daughter who has a two-year-old, and um, so I get excited every time I talk to adults, even on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've got I got a six and ten-year-old. Uh huh. Um, it, it get, the hilarity ensues all the time. In fact, our, we have a key phrase: uh, "Make me the operator," <laughs> because he's just playing Minecraft. And and in the background, and it, like most of my video chats that aren't being recorded, you hear uh, my oldest going, make, "Make me the operator. I can I can help you with that. I make me the operator." <laughs> like that's mine ever. It's our new catchphrase. Anytime we want something, we're like, "Hey, hey, make me the operator." <laughs> I got this. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good. Operator. It, it's not aggressive. It's not like make me boss. Operators more like, oh, yes, you know, a facilitator. Yes, let me, let me make things happen. Exactly. Make me this person that can do stuff. I think all of us in life would like to be made the operator a lot of times when we run into situations. We're like, we should just start saying that in real life. Like, we run into a no. difficult person. We should just literally lean over and go, make me the operator. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Too bad. Okay. So. Heather, when did you start writing? When did you go, oh, I want to be a writer? Oh, yeah. Well, I... I, th I think I, like most people, I, I came, wound up doing this because I loved books so much. Um, like a kid, had parents who read constantly, who read just about everything. Um, and it kind of like opened the world to me. And then my mom was born in Ireland, so she brought these fantastic history books uh, to the States with her. Oh, wow. And I was fascinated by, yeah, British history and that kind of thing. So, well, British, oh God, she would have smacked me. Irish history. <laughs> but my, <laughs> Scottish, um, my, my dad's family came from Scotland. And um, so they, you know, I guess I can say that, okay, just not with my mother's name in there. <laughs> so uh, between them, I just became so fascinated with the history. And it wasn't exactly what I'd intended to do because I went to the University of South Florida in Tampa and loved school. I was a theater major there. And at the time, they didn't have many sports teams. So we had a tremendous amount of money put into our program. And it was fabulous. I loved it. Uh, we did training at Disney World <laughs> for some of the costuming and makeup and that type of thing. And, and I loved it. And when I got out of school, I did some commercial work and dinner theater. Um, wow. The problem being <laughs> that the dinner theater didn't pay especially well. No, and took no it does not. No. <laughs> it sounds like a good time. <laughs> no, no, it was great. But I actually, the problem was I worked for entertainers down here, the Rhodes Brothers, who are actually great people. They were they were ahead of their time. They had a club and the Dolphins were, were members there. And these guys were great. Nobody ever messed with their staff. They, they were wonderful to work for. 
I did dinner theater with them. I did backup music for them. And to afford that, I bartended for them. <laughs> so by the time I was expecting the third child, it was just too much. Oh, and I have to tell you about a couple of the commercials I had because one of them was for, uh, it's kind of like somebody showing you that you're supposed to be going in a different direction. Um, I did a commercial for something called a trim twist. And the motto on it was everybody's <laughs> doing it. And they had hired me for it and they hired my dog for it. And um, I really thought somebody was telling me something when the dog got a bigger paycheck than I did. <laughs> oh, my so, oh my God. Oh my God. And just, you know, I had kids and I was just gone mm. so much to make ends meet. So, I had always loved books and I'd always loved the concept of writing. And so that was when um, I stayed home. And I can always tell because I started at the birth of my third child and got my first advance in time to pay for the hospital for the fourth child. Oh, <laughs> so wow. That was kind of long, yeah. But, and like, it's quite a long time ago. <laughs> well, you have grandbabies, so I, I, would, I would go with that. What yeah. is the first book you ever published? What was your first one? It was um, every, no, that wasn't it. It was when next, gosh, I can't remember which title it was. I believe it was When Next We Love. And it was written for a company uh, called Candlelight Ecstasy, which was part of Dell Publishing at the time. And they had kind of, this was years ago, and for some reason, category novels were just flying everywhere. And Harlequin was doing so well with them that Dell had a line, and Bantam had a line, yeah. and everybody else had a line. So this was uh, Candlelight, and that was the, the Dell line. Yeah, the so, they were, yeah, the yeah. romance genre was hitting it big. I think uh, we were just reading today, earlier today, that in 1991, the romance genre pulled in like $1.5 billion or some crazy number like that. Oh, so those guys were just yeah. cashing in and 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 grabbing up what romance novels and authors they could. And it was like, that, man, you caught a wave. Yeah. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, it was great at the time. And then uh, the funny thing was that, which actually turned into why there was a Shannon Drake name is because I had wanted to love history so much. And then with our kids, we wound up going up and down the East coast every year because my, um, my husband is Italian and between his two parents, he had something like 32 aunts and uncles. Oh and my goodness family in Massachusetts. Well, I mean, you know, they married people, I think 16 siblings, something like that. But they, you know, they were all married and um, they had many, many children whom I adore to this day. You know, some people say, oh, you're not marrying the man's family. I would have married the family. <laughs> They're great. I love them. <laughs> we, would go, we would go up and down the coast all the time. And so I became immersed in American history because we would go to sites for the revolution, for the Civil War, you know, for Philadelphia, you know, I mean, all that kind of thing. So then I I really wanted to write historicals as well. Um, but at the time, Dell didn't want anything but the contemporary. And um, actually, uh, that was why he had become so heavily involved in uh, Romantic Times with Catherine Falk, because she came down here when I think I'd written one or two books and she had the magazine with her and there was an ad in the magazine from 
Liza Dawson, who was an editor at Pinnacle at the time, and she wanted people who wrote historicals with a voice like Heather Graham. And of course, I was like, I can do that. I can do that. You know, like, As a matter of fact, make me the operator. I got Yeah, does it make me an operator? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, So that was when Shannon Drake came into being. And I always thought she was fun. She never married. She had no children. She just, you know, she traveled Europe. She went where she wanted to go. She had a wonderful affair with that. Scottish actor. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that. So you've been at this, obviously, for a time period. I'm not going to say a long time because you've been at it for a time period, a little tick or two. Um, Have you always been traditionally published? I generally, yes, Um, because um, I have been with most of the major houses, and I can tell you, I never had, you know, horrible experience. Um, Everyone can have a problem when they're editor has a baby or goes or leaves or, you know, you wind up, you know, between editors and that type of thing, that that's always going to be difficult. But as far as the houses went, um, I, I certainly was happy with every house that I was at. I'm, I'm not with them right now, except for reprints, but I loved Kensington, just an, an amazing family operated business. Um, I love where I am now. I have been with them for um, longer than some of their editors have been born. <laughs> they are fabulous. We're um, not I work- putting years on this at all. This is not a time-stamped podcast. No, 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 I work with a young lady named Margot Mallinson, who's probably one of the best editors I have, I have ever had. And uh, so, but because um, now, because I am doing so much of the Heather Graham with them, um, yeah. And I don't know what it was. I mean, I guess it's just because we're all home. Um, all of a sudden, it struck me that I had to write an Arthurian fantasy. And, um, you know, I'd spoken to my agent about it. And they were kind of like, well, you know, you've really got the, you know, the the contemporary thriller type thing going right now. And, uh, for, you know, so you kind of really don't want to confuse anybody with the name. So I thought, ah, Shannon Drake can come back to life. So she did. And I did decide to put that up by myself. I put it up on Amazon. I'm hoping, I'm truly hoping that I followed all my own rules <laughs> that I tell people for self-publishing. Um, years ago, I was at a Novelist Inc. conference, and uh, somebody, there, there's a panel where it's editors and agents, and you kind of get to ask them the hard questions, because you, I forget what the, you know, what, the, what you have to be, but you have to be so much to be a part of Novelist Inc. And she kind of really mm-hmm. stared them down and said, you are almost archaic. Self-publishing is coming in. All you need now is someone who can edit and someone who can copy edit and someone who can write back copy and 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 someone who can come up with a good cover and someone who can market and someone yeah. who can do a, a whole entire business. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what they call publishers. <laughs> so, but I do think that uh, I think with I think self-publishing. I know many friends who have, have done their work and self-published. But the point with it is, is that you do have to do all those things. You know, you really have to make sure that your work is, is um, you know, that, that you've gone through and done some, you know, copywriting and uh, that you've made sure that uh, you're putting forth your best effort because very few people want to write just one book. Most people who are going to be writers want to write several books. 
And if you put um, product out there that uh, is, you know, really shoddy, people aren't going to buy it again. So you just want to make sure you remember that word, which is publish, you know, and make sure that you're, uh, you're doing the best you can. I think it's fantastic you said that. Me and Valerie actually have a small press we started this year. Oh, did you? Yeah, called Four Horsemen Publications. Oh. Um, and we we got to we're bringing the publishing apocalypse is what we call it because as authors we ran into a lot of the situations and um we've seen just so many authors out there who are fantastic authors they are not fantastic at all the other stuff and although there are a lot of rules and things and books and stuff and you can make it happen for yourself as a self-published author absolutely i don't take that away a lot of the guests we've had on the show a lot of our friends near and dear friends are self-published authors however there's a delta i feel between publishing houses and self-publishing and there's this group of people that fall that are just not able to do that necessarily easily right Right. I think that, I mean, I'm so sorry. My phone just started ringing and I no, should have turned it off. It's all right. <laughs> Last time it was me. I don't know where it is. Oh, I found it. I found it. Okay. No worries. It's all right. It's all right. It's off, and now it's, uh, now, now it should be fine. <laughs> so Valerie's phone's going to go off in a minute here because she does that all the time. <laughs> You silenced it this time, I swear. (laughs) I I feel like, and part of the reason we started our publishing company was there, there isn't, there are so many great authors and there are so many great genres that are not touched by the big publishing houses at all that you have to change, you know? I agree with that because I remember, um, when I did my first vampire novel, they would only publish it if I also signed a contract for historicals. So, or historical novels, that's not correct. Um, I think that sometimes, um, and of course that was before, you know, when Charlene came out with uh, <clears throat> her Suki Stackhouse books, that, you know, that all changed. But I do think sometimes, they, they can't help it, they're businesses. They're looking at the bottom line. And I think, therefore, sometimes you, you don't always realize that yes, the public would love to have this. You know, it's just not available. So I, I do think that that's something, one of, one of the, the true wonderful aspects about self-publishing is we do get gems out there that you might not get otherwise. Um, <laughs> my niece told me one time that she was all upset. She bought a bunch of books for 99 cents and they were horrible. And it was kind of like, well, did you read what they were before you bought them? <laughs> she said, yeah. You know, you, you look at what the content is, you know, you can, you can take a look at things before, before you buy them. Um, There's sample chapters. Do, if you're in yeah. Barnes Noble or exactly. a bookstore, read the first yeah. couple of pages. If it does exactly. not grab you, put it back on a shelf. It's okay to do that. <laughs> I I think it's, yeah, I, de- I definitely think that, that uh, beyond a doubt it has its, its place. And well, there's another thing I do is I, on my newsletter, um, I usually do newsletters for holidays and I always write a short story and people can just email uh, my assistant, who's also one of my best friends, and she'll send them a PDF that looks just like a book. But oh, wow. I then put it on Amazon too. Yeah, uh-huh. I put it up on Amazon. 
for somebody who'd rather somebody may have Kindle Plus or, you know, if they want to pay 99 cents for a story, you know, that's fine. But I but but they're actually my thank you to my readers. So I try I try to make them free. But but they're all up on Amazon. I mean, I've done a couple things like that. But um, like I said, I, I love where I'm at. Um, and, you know, when I was talking about publishing, the things that you can do, I have, uh, well, my son, for one, uh, majored in graphic arts at Pratt, and his wife is an incredible artist. And so, I mean, I have plenty of people for artwork and oh, nice. um, things, you know, who can, can put together a really nice cover. I have um, two friends who edit and do an extremely the one of them actually makes me crazy because she taught English for 20 years. <laughs> so, um, but, <laughs> I, um, I have a in English literature that's been um, teaching for 10 years. It's one of our editors. Oh. Yeah, they're terrifying. They're t- <laughs> but they're fantastic. It's great when you have those resources. We just find that a lot of authors – don't have them. And so the idea of self-publishing to do it right, I'm using quotation marks, is you've got to pay for a cover artist. You you know, you have to pay for the back blurb. You have to pay for the editing and the editing and the editing and sometimes the proofreading and all this stuff. And then, you know, copywriting, potentially ISBNs, if you don't figure that out for yourself. And all of a sudden publishing this beautiful baby you have and you're a working person is... A thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars, and that's daunting. Like that, that stops people. Oh, from- definitely, definitely. Um, I don't know. It's funny when I, you know, when I was doing my first book, which was a little bit tricky at the beginning. Um, my mom had been a copy editor for an advertising agency, and so she would prove things for me. And it was kind of like I can't give this to my mother. It's like oh, I got to give it to my mother. <laughs> you know, what else am I gonna do? <laughs> That's okay. When I released my first book, uh, my mother-in-law called me like four days later. I didn't announce it or anything because I was still learning. I had no idea what the heck I was doing. I had, I, I was just releasing a thing, seeing if I could do that. And she's like, I read your book. And I'm like, oh my God, my mother-in-law's in B- BDSM. <laughs> she's like, I loved it. He really loved her. And I'm like, uh... And so where's did we lose Heather? Did we lose her? We lost Heather. I made her laugh too hard. Possibly. The screen is pink pixels. I've never seen pink pixels. On mine, she's frozen. Oh, yeah. No, on mine, she's pink pixels. So We're going to give it a second to see if we get her back. If n- Oh, there she is. Okay. Are we back, Heather? Can you hear us? Oh no. I hear sound. robotic sounds. Like a robot is talking to us. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, almost. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we go. Okay. You're okay, back. We're back. Okay. Oh. Yay, COVID. <laughs> Yay. I blame COVID for us I'm having to Skype. That's how yeah. it is. <laughs> but um, hey, I had a download Skype. You're you're my first Skype. I've been doing Zoom. <laughs> Sorry, you know, we Skype. Possibly move to Zoom. Not that I think that actually solves the same problem yeah, I ran into, which is internet. Um, but 
I have to, anyway, technical things. I have to make sure the recording is correct because Skype's got it down for podcasting recording. So, uh, yeah, and that's, yeah, highly possible. I just haven't yet. It's been a while since, because Skype was the first. So I had Skype years ago, but then it was like, uh, who am I? <laughs> <laughs> We've run into that before. I think I think we need to update, but it's okay. We're dating ourselves having the podcast. Okay. So, you know what is interesting that you said is that your agent said that you needed to put this book under a different name. With as much you have out there, I, I, I'm surprised by that because normally with as prolific as you are, that wouldn't be a big deal, having well, this narrow book. It's not so much, and and I I agree with this. It wasn't so much, and they didn't tell me I had to. I mean, they certainly didn't. We discussed it, and it's, to me, this seemed like my best. Um, it just seemed it seemed like the best thing for me to do. The thing to me is, and it kind of got messed up over the years because first I was doing all anything historical under Shannon Drake, and then then somebody wanted, oh no no, we have to use Heather Graham. And then I had done the vampires under Shannon Drake. And then along the way, they kind of, I think they're Heather Graham, I think that's smart. But um, it just, it makes sense to me because I never want you to buy something you don't want. Some people don't like historical novels. Some people don't like fantasy. Um, so you just, I, I just, it, even when they reprint something, I beg them to let me write a letter. You know, like if you read this before and, and you remember it and, Please don't, you know, people money, especially now, you know, don't spend your money on something that you're not going to be happy with. So th that's part of the part of putting Shannon Drake on it, because that way, you know, it, it's different. It's not what Heather Graham has been doing the past several years. And that's, so, that's um, something I, I always recommend to authors like don't don't see it as a daunting thing to have pen names for each market or readership, because and you don't have to keep them secret either. I no. think that's another misconception. You don't have to have, go into a oh, secret no, identity no. and start again. You could just say, this is this genre, this is this genre, and these are the expectations for the, those names that you're using. It's the same thing as a rating system, you know, kind of like, not not because you want to ban anything or put anything out, but um, in fact, there's a, there's a histor historical, hysterical <laughs> little... <laughs> on uh, YouTube with Samuel L. Jackson with everybody blaming him for all of their problems in his life because oh my gosh to do with that type of content but just just honestly so that if no, you're looking for a straight mystery. You don't want to buy this, <laughs> you know. It's a, but if you think you'd enjoy that, or if you're like me, um, I will seriously read anything, including the cereal box, if there's nothing else. <laughs> so, but and then like, not reading anything. So I, I love, I love romance. I love gothics. I love serious mysteries. You know, I, I thrillers, suspense, horror. I mean, you name it. I'm more than happy to enjoy it. So, but not everybody feels that way. So, you know, you want to be very, you just want to let people know what something is so that if it is what they want, they get it. And if it's not, they don't. I, I think that's great. You said that because I think there are some um, authors who go out there, especially in the self-published world and try to put it in too many genres, like too oh, many yeah. things that it's not that thing. And they don't realize that, 
expect yeah maybe they'll get it noticed quote unquote more but the problem is is the people that read in that one genre that you tried to put your toe in the water of get your book and go this isn't that this isn't horror yeah. what the hell is this yeah. like we have um I, do you know jeff strand He's a horror author. Oh, yes, of course. Yes. Jeff Strand knows everybody. everybody. I belong to horror writers among my other. (laughs) He's one of the, of course, of course. I I don't even know why. Otherwise, But he um, was talking about it because he put out uh, a a romantic comedy called Kumquat something. It had Kumquat in the name. I can't remember what the, the book was. And we were talking to him about it, and he's like, God, I wish I had picked a pen name. Because his oh. fans got it, and what were basically, what the F is this? Like, it's <laughs> crap. You're like, I'm and, a little surprised that he could write a romance as in his reviews. <laughs> yeah. And it was funny because he, he you know, Jeff is... Um, we, we jokingly call that he is a, um, what kind of writer is he? He is a method writer because he's very methodical on his writing, which we're going to talk to you about your writing style. I'm emotional. <laughs> yeah. He, you know, a lot of writers are emotional. They get into their character. He's just like A, B, C, D. And it's great. <laughs> he's amazing. I love him. And he's a good friend of mine outside of this, but. What was funny to me was when he said that, he was like, I really wish I had done that because people really reacted, not necessarily badly, but they all were like shrugging their shoulders because, of course, they saw Jeff Strand and purchased it. And then they were like, so what is this funny? What is this thing that you you put out here with your name on the thing? Why did you do that? I yeah. do, yeah, I do. I think there's even even if um, even if somebody really wanted their their own name on it, there are ways that you can play on your name. You know, put your middle name in. You know, um, Graham is of course uh, not Italian. It's my maiden name. <laughs> the one I was um, actually, it was fu- funny when I had done when I first was publishing with two companies at one time um, to you know have a different name. I had put my married name, which is P as in Peter, O-Z-Z-E-S-S-E-R-E, um, at Heather Graham Possessory. But uh, the last name is so long that the company couldn't fit it on the cover properly, and they kept mixing it up with palm trees and things like that. <laughs> so, also, um, you know, I, I was happy to do it, too, as long as my father-in-law was alive. But, you know, now that he's passed away, the kids don't really, they don't really care. Um, and then I always knew when I published first, I would use Graham. It was my father's name. It was the name I was born with, you know. So, But, I mean, there are ways to play on it. If your name is Jane Clark, you could be Jane Elizabeth Clark for different things. Just enough to show people, oh, wait, what's that? Is that the same person? Let me look at that. And that way they look at them before they... I, I love that thing. you said said that about the name, though, because this is a tip I try to give authors all the time. There is nothing wrong with your name. Your name is your name, and it's beautiful. But if it's hard to pronounce and it's hard to spell, most of the time when you're giving your elevator pitch or meeting somebody or somebody's hearing about you, they're not seeing your name written. So if your name last name is Abercrombie, they may not be able to find you because they can't spell that word when you're trying to look for someone. Well, to be honest, I did get that from the publisher. Because it's funny too, because if you're, you know, if you're in Italy, it's uh, 
Pozzere. But it's, you don't usually walk around saying, hi, I'm Heather Pozzere. <laughs> you know, you don't like that. So <laughs> uh, they said the publisher did say exactly what you're saying now, that as far as the bookstore goes, people had a tendency uh, not to ask for something if they have a problem saying it. Now, for some people, will you know and if you've written the most wonderful book in the world hopefully they they would and i'm not saying that they won't but um and norm we have we have so many good books today we have so many wonderful books to choose from um they're, you're never going to read them all so some sometimes as far as wanting to make a career out of this it's best if you make sure that you've uh, made things as easy as possible and then usually, well, I mean, of course, this is easier for women, but uh, usually one of the two names <laughs> that you have is going to be pretty good. So I would go that route. Exactly. Because one thing they do ask you, I know because I've been in Barnes & Noble asking about a book and the person behind the counter, Sweetest Pie, goes, how do you spell that? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, well, names uh, not phonics. I grew up in Hooked on Phonics, you know, so I'm like... <laughs> Um, P <laughs> It's about to get hazy. I gotta just hope as they start to type it that it comes up. Like, oh man! Well, I mean, that's uh, they say that uh, one of like the historical random facts that I know in this skull of mine that Shepardy isn't how he originally spelled his name, but he oh, spelled not. it phonetically instead because it was easier. That yeah. he oh, rather yeah. than pronounce his name correctly. Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. I did not know that. <laughs> well, now, now you know. <laughs> we, look, we have all learned something on this there, podcast. There you go. There you okay, go. we're going to take a quick break on Chef Boyardee, and we will be right back with another <laughs> This is the voice of Drinking With Authors. You are at our commercial break, and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. Jeff Boyardee, just kidding. We all learned something there. Oh, oh so, you know you were talking about your mother-in-law? Oh. I had a great story on that one, too. It actually wasn't my mother-in-law. My, um, I had one sister, older sister, who I adored, about three years older than, than me. And she met her husband-to-be when I was about 12. I knew his family well. And... Uh, she and I both got married the same summer. I got married right out of high school. My husband and I went off to college for our honeymoon. But um, she had also done the same thing. So uh, we married very different families. Hers is, and I'm still very close to my nephew's other side. Um, but she was very concerned because they were very, very Baptist. She thought that her mother-in-law would be upset if she was to see the books. So I'm over at their house one night and I wound up with Marion, whom I still adore, washing dishes. 
And she looked at me and she said, I'm going to have to read one of those books of yours. And I said, oh, you know, Marianne, that would be lovely. And, you know, if you, if this, you know, will help you any, I can go through and clip all the pages, you know, that have some sex in them. And that way you can skip them. And she turned around, she said to me, oh, honey, clip them. I can read them twice. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing what you discover about people when you write. There you go. (laughs) Well, I I have the reverse story. So um, I I write horror under Erica Lance. Uh-huh. Another name, which is Dahlia Lance, if you say it quick, it's Dalians. I write chiclet erotica, it's humorous erotica. And my daughter, who is now in the military, she's a combat medic in the army, pay wow. um, for her service. But yeah, she, really? she was 16 years old, she got a hold of my book. And, not <laughs> <it was hard. laughs> and she's reading the book. And when I I walked into her room, which was fine. It wasn't like I'm hiding and I'm a very open person. I wasn't, you know, like, oh, you don't need to do that. But I walked in the room and she's sitting in her room with four of her friends and she's reading the book aloud to her (laughs) friends. Is this my home on Horror Island? This is my home on Horror Island. She's reading this aloud to her friends. And I was like, I literally walked in and I'm like, Okay, cool. And I just shut the door and walked up. So I'm like, alrighty then. So that happened. And I've met her friends and she, this is, I think, a true test when people have friends and family is a lot of people say they're supportive, but it's different. Like my daughter will tell her friends, my mom wrote those books. Remember that book I read to you? Or remember that book I gave you? That's my mom's book. Like she is like my number one fan when it comes to it. But she was 16 when she's reading this book. And I was like, do I be upset about like I had a whole mental debate? Do I do I care? Do I not care? She's 16. Let me okay, good. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think for one, if you made too big a deal out of it, it would have been worse. You know, I mean uh, it, right? and and 16-year-olds are way ahead of what we think. <laughs> oh my so, god, they are. Yes. Yeah. Beyond a doubt. So let's talk about your writing process, my friend. Um, are you a plotter, a panther, a palancer? Right? How do you write? Um, possibly a little bit of both. Um, years ago, it used to be easy because um, kids, kids all became school age, went to school. They were gone. I would sit down and I would start working. And um, now the kids are grown up and one would think that this would be easier. But as I said, I'm living with a two-year-old. <laughs> so... Um, I, we, we're trying to juggle it because, of course, everybody's trying to stay sane with, you know, a little two-year-old who's suddenly home. So I take her for so long. And we that's why my hair is still wet. <laughs> you know, the thing, the thing every day. Um, so because that was one that was one of my in-between jobs when uh, I, I had um, I had I'd left the Rose Brothers and I had not published it. And um, so I was trying to do something where it would be away a few hours, but not always. So I went and became certified as a lifeguard. And I worked on my South Beach for about two weeks before the teenagers thinking that it was fun to watch the lifeguard run out and save you when you were drowning got oh, old. <laughs> so I asked them if I could switch over to teaching and I taught little kids how to swim. So I'm trying... Of course, this was quite a while ago now, and I'm trying to remember, but she is two. 
Um, but my dad believed every child who lived in Florida should swim. So I'm <laughs> working on her because you, you can't you can't avoid water. And then also because her home and what else do you do with a two-year-old <laughs> for hours on end every day? So um, it's it's kind of uh, the process now is uh, whenever her parents have her and I'm in my room. Oh, and then my I have one. <laughs> I have one child living in California, one child living in Illinois, and one child living in New York, and two of them living here. And so, of course, I've only seen the others. I have a brand-new grandchild, and I've never seen him. Well, he's not brand-new anymore. He's six months old, and I still haven't seen him. But um, we do, you know, we do video. Uh, but the one here somehow managed to break his foot on the first day. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, no. Yeah, so I run from here to there, from here to there. Um, so my writing now is whenever I can get there. <laughs> it, I mean, it works. I love what I do, so it works. Um, <clears throat> but as far as the other, I had been kind of where, you know, you just wrote and the, the story took you or whatever happened. And then I found out, um, well, actually, my, my beginning was kind of funny because the editor who picked up the first book asked me if I had anything else. And I said, well, I have a few other projects I was working on, but they rejected. And she said, well, that's okay. You can send them to me. And I then had to tell her, but they've been rejected by you. Fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> because once they had decided to take something, they, you know, they were willing, I guess, to, to put more work into you. Um, so, but at that point, when I signed a contract, the contract was that you were paid so much on signing, you were paid so much when they received a synopsis and pages, and then you were paid so much when you turned in the, the completed book. And when I found out they would pay you, give you money <laughs> for writing a synopsis, oh yeah, I started. And then I found out the great thing about a synopsis is you may not go. You may not go where you said you were going to go. Things may change in the middle of it, but you always do have a place to go. So um, I, I actually enjoy doing them. And like I said, they change. Things change. You're not, you know, they're, they're not set in stone. You can go different places, but it does always give you a place to go. So I usually do um, a synopsis. And I know for people starting out, um, I think some of the hardest things you can do are to write a query letter and a synopsis. It's uh, it's difficult, very difficult, because even say, you know, when you're doing things, well, you know, because you're you're publishing, when you try to do back copy, it's hard. You've got to get something exciting, you know, out of 80 to 100,000 words or whatever down into a couple paragraphs. And, and uh, it, it's a very difficult thing to do. Well, we um, just yesterday um, participated in PipMad, which is oh, yeah. on Twitter, where people pitch their books, but oh, elevated pitch size of their books. Amazing to wow! Watch. Yeah, um, some wow. great like, I mean, because they only got that tw a tweet to sell you on the idea, and because they're always talking about know what your elevator pitch is right. and use that to help you fine tune and revise your work with. Synopsis is probably one of the hardest things I have to write because, and Erica can attest to that. When I start writing, I just puke words, <laughs> just blah, and bring it in, bring it back in. 
And then she's like, just... here's my 75,000 word synopsis of this 50,000 word. <laughs> like, what the hell are you well, doing? That's exactly it. Yeah. It's it is. Hard. It's so hard to wrangle it all in. And I'm like, and then this happens. And that has to happen. Because what it is, is now I'm telling the story with commentary. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I'm terrible. <laughs> I can definitely see it. Yeah, it's it's uh, one of the hardest things you can do. So, do you, the only, you the only right thing was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no. I was just going to say uh, at various conferences, I said I seriously belong to everything out there because I've never known what I'm doing. I've never, and I'm whatever you want me to be, wherever I am. But uh, so many of the conferences now all do pitch fest. So that, you know, you get people ready for, you know, their appointments with their editors or their agents. And I was doing one one time where everyone who came up to me started with, what if? And it was just like, okay, maybe somebody should say something besides what if first. <laughs> you know, just, there's, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like this, you know, 10 step thing of rules, like what must be said when, you know, the hardest thing with a, a, a pitch. And then I think one of the most important things too, though, is your enthusiasm. For the project because you you know you have to be excited and then to me too pitching um the best way to pitch to me is always pretend like i'm your best friend and, and you're talking to me and you're telling me about this project that you're so excited about you know i mean that's that to me is the best way to do something because if you want other people excited you've got to be excited yourself I, I agree we were going through the the pitch thing and if i had one more person right there was a vampire I was going to telling people, like, I'm like, and, and the worst part is they oh, could yeah. have been a brilliant story, but it literally sounded like a regurgitation of Twilight or True Blood over and over again. And I'm like, this is great. This is a genre, but there's no originality whatsoever in what you're saying. And I talk about this a lot. I'm, I, you know, Valerie jokes that I'm kind of the taskmaster, but I'm like, you should yes. know your pitch because if somebody asks you about your book, you should be able to, in two sentences, tell them about your book. Like, you should just be able to go, oh, yeah, my book's about blah, 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 blah. And then you get to this and it's an action adventure and thought. And if you can't do that, I go, you know, you should work on that part of the ability because when you're talking to people and people find out you're a writer, like, I, I have a day job right now. Val has a day job. When people find out we're writers, they immediately go, oh, what do you write? Mm -hmm. You don't have 15 minutes to explain to them your dissertation no. on world peace about this book. Like, you, you give them just enough because you want to ask them, well, tell me more. You want to always leave them. And it's a good practice for marketing because the, you got to do the same thing with your blurbs. Your title sort of has to hint that. Uh, and your your cover designer is going to try and do that for you visually. Yeah. It's all about this is what genre type of story I am. And then have them, but what else does it have? You know, you yeah. want you want them to kind of like lean in a little bit. So and, and that's that's what that elevator pitch is about. That's that's why I love Pitmad because it really puts a lot of these authors. It, it, puts, in the it, it cuts it down. Cutting down is the hardest thing to do. Yeah. Really, you know, getting the because when you cut down so much, it's got to be all the right words. It yeah. does. It's, it's it's word choice. I have a question for you. So your um, crew book series, there mm -hmm. are 30, how many are out? 37, right? 
I don't know. Okay. I think we'll go with 37. Right. We're going to go with that. In the, in the late 30s, early 40s, you know, the prime years. Um, so when you're writing that, do you have a, like a world book or keeping track for that series? It's always yeah. fascinating to me when somebody has a lot of books in a series, because that is a lot of material that you've already done. Well, there's a main, the, the thing with the crew is there's the, the, the main crew, the very the original couple uh, in the crew reappear and they have offices now and they can see which have grown. Obviously, they, they've got much bigger than they were. Um, and I have fabulous people who work with me because even, even when I do things traditionally, I send them to the English teacher <laughs> and um, my, my best friend. And, um, oh, my God, she is such a task. <laughs> she's so she's she, wonderful. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yes, there, there are Bibles, all the characters, everything's in them. But a couple of them, like I said, that original couple, I know them really well. <laughs> I don't have any problem with them because I've used them. Um, in fact, I just used them in the one that's going to go out with the Labor Day letter. Um, so on a... They, they went on a case. It was, it's strange the way it started, too, because I had done. Uh, I can't believe I'm blanking on my own titles right now, but there's a couple of books that kind of preceded the crew that are called the Harrison Investigation Series. And <clears throat> it began with this really wonderful man named Adam Harrison, who was just rich. But he was one of those people who always wanted to do good things with his money. So he's contributed to so many things. He knows everybody in Washington. He's done everything else. And he started out just by knowing who should be on something, by knowing people who did have. The thing that puts them all together is their ability to speak to the dead. And uh, it's kind of explained within the series that, you know, it's like, you know, 1% and 1% of the population. But Adam knows how to find them. And so he, you know, sets them up on these different cases where, you know, you can use people or something that's bizarre. They'll go in on and try to find out what's going on. So he has been around uh, since the beginning. And he had a son who made a door named Josh, who was uh, killed in an automobile accident. And when he's dying, he's with one of his best friends. And so suddenly he passes everything on to her. And that's how, how that kind of gets going. But uh, that's that's under if you look them up, that's under the Harrison investigation series. Even though it wasn't a series, right? <laughs> it was just books I was doing, but it kind of became a series. And then of course the crew, yeah, the crew countries is very definitely a series. When so when you write this, I, I've encountered that me and Val both encountered this. I'm quite sure you've encountered this way more than we have. Where fans remember some part of the book and bring it up to you. Oh yeah, and you can know more than I do. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, when they bring it up and you're like, yeah, that sounds like me. <laughs> like, did I write that? Yes, maybe. Which book? What page? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I can't even remember my titles right now. Um, That's drinking with others. You're not supposed to remember anything. It's fine. Somebody asked me something about. Ramses the second and they were all upset that I didn't know because I wrote a book with Ramses the second in it 
20 years ago. <laughs> I was like, but you wrote a book. I, was like, <laughs> I always wonder if these guys have run into the authors that have that photographic memory that remember everything. No, I'm not one of them. <laughs> no. I, I'm not one of them either. I had a girl quote a scene to me oh. and I was like, yeah, no, I, no, that was one of my favorites too. And I'm just like, what the fuck is she talking about? I had to go look it up. No, I know. I just got a promotional cut, um, and there's a quote on it for me, and it's like, I said that? <laughs> 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 you got to love the marketing people that take those little gold nuggets out of the things that come out of our mouths and go, we're going to make this brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure when, but okay. But, but I mean, honestly, it's like saying, it's something I would have said. It's about, you know, when you sit down to do something, I know a lot of people who want to write, but they get, they'll get started on something and then they just stop. And the thing is, you've got to carry through. You know, you've, you've, you've got to be determined that you are going to have the beginning, a middle, and an end. And this is where a synopsis comes in and helps. You know, you don't want to start this thing and it's, 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 it's going really well and, and it reads well. And then you just blank and you put it down and you don't go anywhere with it. Um, so it's uh, one of the most important things, you know, if you want to take writing you know, into a professional place, you, you've got to follow through. You've got to keep going. So because I've seen people, too. This is something else you'll hear. And I'm, I'm sure a certain amount of it's true is that many editors are so busy and have so many submissions that they're reading the first three pages. And if you don't have, you know, if you don't have their attention by then, uh, you're going to lose them. The problem there is that people can become so focused on the first three pages that they don't get to page four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So it's a, you know, it's, it's a balance. Um, my personal belief is that when you were talking about all the excitement and passion and you just go, my belief is you do that. You get everything down. And then you can go back through and rip it apart and find out, you know, what was good, what, what you made your mistake. Is for. Exactly, exactly. But don't lose your passion for what you're doing. You're telling a story. And and this to me is kind of a, a, an important given. An editor is going to buy a story, a good story that, you know, that excites people, that grabs them, that makes them happy, that makes them sad. You're, you're looking for a story. I've never heard of an editor buy something because the grammar was perfect. This is not saying that the grammar shouldn't be perfect, but you've got to get the story down first. And then, and then go yeah, the story is the yeah. key thing. To me, grammar goes along with a lot of the other things, which is, um, when it comes to editing, your level of being grammar or, you know, all kinds of things that can go on with editing is whether you're willing to set your ego aside to listen to somebody who's an expert on helping you clean it up. I, I talk about this a lot because I happen to be I'm a I'm a pantser. I feel like I'm a rare breed because I can actually do it from beginning to end pantsing my story. I actually do that. I don't need an outline. I can just go. But that is not the norm. I feel that's an exception. I think a lot of people want to be pantsers, but run into exactly what you talked about is they get to the middle and it starts getting a little bit hazy on the direction they're going, right? But I also value the editor that when I hand them the thing, I already know I'm not perfect at grammar. I'm sure I messed up my tenses a little bit. Like you constantly improve 
you know, and I'm sure I started many sentences with he or she, and you've got to go through and, and clean up all that crap that you do, right? Times. <laughs> yes. But it's whether or not you can tell a really good story, you can bring people in. And when you give it to that editor, an editor, before you submit a story, give it to somebody who can go to it and yeah. pull those pieces apart and don't have an ego. They're not destroying your baby. They're like, listen, you didn't dress your children in the uniform required for this school. Here is the uniform that yeah. you need to wear. That's my analogy of the day. My gin analogy. Because I I hear people talk about editors and, oh, they ripped it apart. Take a breath when you get that back. Don't be defensive about your work and go, first of all, did this editor get it? Do they understand the story you're saying? And two, listen to them. They're English, PhDs in English literature. Guess what? They probably understand the English language better than you. I, I also love that moment because uh, as an author, we're constantly growing. Our, our writing is always evolving on mm -hmm. some level. So it's always awesome that you, you, know, you, you know you have an editor and proofreaders and beta readers who all have helped you identify your bad habits. But those change. Like, you, you, you know, one... One year you're crutching on nod and shrug all day long. Next year you're always adding as if and just making run on yeah. nonstop. That was one of my favorite editorial notes ever. I um, it, it came back with an I struck out the line where she was biting her lip. I was so afraid if she bit it one more time, I was going to see it fall off on the page. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh yeah. Yeah, we, do. We, we we all have things that we do too often, and and thankfully people will most often catch them for you. They're often that's why I say the the young woman I work with, Margo Mallinson at at Mira, is to me she's just incredible because she finds everything that's important, and she's not a nitpicker. I had one editor who I said the lights were dim, and she wanted no, she wanted the lights low. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. That's a little bit. Oh, and then why was the dress blue? I like blue. <laughs> you, know, I you know, there are you know, most of the time, most of the time the editor, and I'm not saying the editor wasn't working her best for the project at that time either, but I absolutely love the young woman I'm working with now because she just catches, you know, the, the things where you look like a fool. <laughs> As yeah, you know. I feel about our editors, especially yeah. Vanessa, even catches uh, our other editor, Jen, um, because she can tighten prose. Man, she can. Uh, she's, why did you see it this way when you could just say it this way in three words? And the pacing and everything, just you just feel the pacing snap into place you're like ah oh. <laughs> like <laughs> that that would makes more sense <laughs> it's funny too with things that, that actually sometime in real life I'm, i i do feel that i'm turning into my mother because she when she was when she was young you know they were immigrants and people had a tendency to make fun of the irish accents so she was going to speak American English and speak it perfectly. And she did. Um, but she was so funny with things because the kids would come in from having done something, you know, like, oh, how did everything go? And be like, oh, oh, I did good. I did good. And she would no, you did not do good. You did well. A person can do good. But good is when you're benefiting people. And every once in a while, 
<laughs> it's like, no, no, don't put it in your mouth. Not on that. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like I have a little editor that crawls up on my shoulder, and when I'm starting to type things, when they point it out that I do this thing, I'll start to type something and be like, am I doing the thing? I control find all the time to go, how many times have I bit, how many times has she bitten her lip? Control, okay, <laughs> three times in the story, we're okay, we're fine, everything's crap, but if it's like 30 times, you're like, son of a bitch. I know. Let me see what else my people run too often. They they arch their brows a lot. <laughs> so I have to watch out. For we have a lot. We have we have some infamous shrugging and nodding that happens sometimes in some of the stories we get, or sighing. There's a lot. So a lot of people sigh. Oh, in my both characters both. sigh a lot. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's easy. It's it's easy to do all those things. Very, very easy. Exactly. Let's talk about your fans for a little bit. We love the fans, especially famous authors like you. Um, let's talk about. Has anybody ever dressed up as one of your characters and come and seen you? Um, at, certainly at romantic times conventions. Yeah, and that's be very deal of fun to see somebody dress up as characters. Yeah. Has anybody dressed up from the crew books to come see you? No, I haven't seen anybody dress up from the crew. I have well, not. We're putting that well, out in the universe. Right? Up, um, pardon? I said we'll put that out in the universe if you're listening. Oh. <laughs> from the crew members for her. <laughs> I guess it would be kind of hard to tell sometimes if you dressed up as a crew member because they're contemporary. Um, they, they tend to, they, they are officially. One of the things that, um, another thing, I mean, I, I just love groups. I'm, um, but again, I belong to horror writers, thriller writers, mystery writers, sisters in crime, and romance writers. Um, and I, I love all of them because um, people just have so much to give you. I forgot why I was saying that, except for one. Well, this is not why I was saying it, but one of the amazing things about them now is they people in know who's buying what when or or even you know you're going to have a hard sell with that right now but it sounds wonderful to me you know if if you you know try the route you want but self-publishing might be great on this i mean there are people who can you know tell you and help you with all of those things but i still don't remember why i was saying that to begin with Oh well, no, <laughs> that's okay. We hey, lose track on here all the time. Wait welcome, till literary welcome to the drinking about this podcast. <laughs> One thing I think that's important about all those communities you mentioned is the yeah. fact that they are communities. Oh, As yeah. an author, it's a oh, it's a sport in a way when you're writing because you're by yourself generally and you're writing and you know you're in your world. But there's huge communities out there if you take the steps outside your writing door to go find them, like the association. So supportive. Yeah. So supportive. Oh, I know. I know what I was saying. The great thing, one of the great things that uh, they have provided for me uh, is uh, thriller writers. For years, we went to the New York offices of the FBI. And I was shocked, like, you know, the New York offices of the FBI, we would, we would actually get their different directors up there. We would get um, people high up in the agency. And it kind of surprised me at first, like, why would they take the time with us? 
And one of the reasons is the FBI actually wants to be warm and cuddly because if they need help from you, they don't want you going, oh my God, the FBI. You know, they want they want you to kind of believe that, you know, that we're all together for the, you know, for the right end. But I so appreciate that because I use the FBI. Even though, you know, they're, they're, they're a separate unit, they have to be in things like that. Because actually, this way, they were telling us at the FBI that, yes, people in the FBI do wind up married to each other, but not usually in the same unit. That's why my unit had to be separate, so they were different, <laughs> so that they could be. But there's just, um, like the, the amount of help you get with so many things from the, the group, because for one, People say, you know, there's that old saying, definitely write what you know. Well, that's that's kind of great. You know, if you know something, it's much easier to write. But I also think you should write what you love. And so yeah. I love, yeah, absolutely love that thriller genre. And thanks to these different groups, we've had uh, mystery writers, voucher con thriller writers. We've had um, all kinds of police in. We've had them work with the canine dogs. You know, we've had... Uh, uh, forensic workers in technicians. Um, oh, I was at uh, the Police Writers Academy last year, and um, got got to spend the time with the medical examiner. And I just forgot his. He has this wonderful last name, which is Graham. Um, I can't think of his first name uh, or his last name. But anyway, he was wonderful because he knew so much I could never know. And getting to spend time talking with That's these awesome. people you know, at all these different groups is, is just phenomenal. So I, I highly recommend I often also, uh, teach a workshop on research for fiction writers. And that's oh. one of the things I, I, I tell them all the time. I'm like, do not hesitate to email, call, visit his, historical historians in local towns, uh, send an email to that professor that wrote that fascinating paper that kind of got close to the thing you were looking for. Mm -hmm. Like, email these people and talk to them because you're both going to geek out over the topic that you want to discuss. Yeah. And yeah. you don't get a chance this to talk true. about that stuff very often. Like, you will get inside information. You know, you write what you love, you write what you know, but write what you know comes with, like, this little footnote that says, if not, do the research. Do the research. Yeah. Ask the questions. Learn. Expand. Um, and I, I'm a firm believer in that. But but that's because I'm a big like mythology. Oh no! Yeah, no, no, no. I, I agree with you 100 times <laughs> over. And it's funny too because with the five kids, um, it was kind of I like to tease them because they're finally paying off because uh, <laughs> they have, uh, among their friends I have a. Miami Dade detective and a U.S. Marshal, <laughs> and then oh, one of my sources. favorites is let's say the one son is friends with a young lady who is a fabricator, and a fabricator means that you create you know different things that go into movies, costumes, props, this type of thing. Oh wow! And he, uh, works for Legacy Studios, which is the old Stan Winston Studios. And she took us for a tour through it. It was just kind of amazing because you see the creepiest, scariest vampire-type creature right next to the Geico pig, <laughs> you know, when they're in their <laughs> little place. But um, one, of, one of her jobs is hysterical, too, because she uh, works with Robert Downey Jr. on the Iron Man. She's one of his dressers. And she'll look at you with a dead straight face and say, 
tough job, but someone's got to do it. Oh my Would have never known to do this for a living. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Learn there are different jobs out there. Um, <laughs> Okay, you have been phenomenal, Heather. How is it? I this is a silly question for you, but I, I ask it for all authors. How do people? Because we're wrapping up. How do people find you? Um, I am. I'm on Facebook as uh, Heather Graham and Heather Graham Possessory, and my website is the original heathergram.com because sadly both Heather Graham from Boogie Nights and I were both born Heather Graham. But unfortunately, I was born first. <laughs> so my website is the original Heathergram. It actually was going to be, sadly, the original Heathergram.com, but everybody talked me out. <laughs> so, the original Heathergram.com. Oh, awesome. You have been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on this Thank podcast. Thank you guys so much. This yes. was so much fun. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. And we will see you next time. I've been Erica Lance. And I'm Valerie Willie. And we'll see you around.